This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to the season finale and special 50th episode Luminarium, titled The Story of Now. I've welcomed eight previous guests to reflect on this transformative moment in time. For part one, I was joined by Derek Smith, John Juan, also known as Kiko Soiree, Spike Einbinder, and Jay Jordan. This time, we'll hear from Mo Fry Pasek, Jess Tom, Pat Riley, and Tommy O'Malley. So here's what I've been asking the guests. Broadly speaking, what do you want for the world to come? What do you want to leave behind? What do you want for yourself? Before we get to their answers, I wanted to share my own. What do I want for myself in the world to come? You know, the other week, my roommate cut my hair. And when I looked in the mirror, I didn't recognize myself. Thank God, I thought. I'm about to turn 30 in the final passage of my Saturn return watching as the snow globe is finally rolled right side up once again, and the dust can settle anew. When the lockdown started, I almost immediately got a fever, and when I got a fever, I knew that I was undergoing another stage of the metamorphosis. I know this sounds so self-indulgent, but after a lifetime of hypochondria and psychosomatic episodes, I just knew. You can either languish in hell or view this as an opportunity to purge out the emotional bacteria the psychic schmutz that needed release. If I were to heal and actively help along my own regeneration, I'd need silence, darkness, to finish molting. I'd need to disappear. I ignored texts, logged off social media, and in the many weeks of delirium and fatigue could feel the remaining tethers to this reality slipping away. My cousin Moish says that as we grow older, we realize we're the same people we were as children. When I was small, I lived in a rich inner world. I'd conduct Sailor Moon battles alone in the backyard. Even in middle school, when shit was really going down all around me, I'd sit in my room, playing with action figures and making collages, while Buffy played on UPN. For what felt like the first time in my life, being sick let me return to that state, in a daze of edibles, baths, collages, and comic books, for the sake of pleasure, and not with any outcome in mind. I was too fatigued to work on anything too seriously, so all I could do was enjoy what was right before me. I needed to reclaim that smaller me, needed to seek his guidance, needed to find peace. My vision of him has been occluded for a long time in the haze of trauma and social reconditioning. But I was ready, after the long journey I've been on, to finally face him, and I got him back. The nightmare is over. I can give myself my childhood back. But after a month in the dream, it seemed like I wasn't getting much better, immunologically speaking, and that maybe I didn't want to come back. I couldn't imagine getting on a FaceTime call without feeling totally enervated, drained of life. Contact, connection, the thing everyone is yearning for right now, it seemed harmful to me. I could read the news about what was going on just outside my door with an alarming dispassion. My friends would express their fear, their concern, their sadness, 
and I'd cringe. How entitled they are, I thought, to need to be coddled. I don't need anybody. I can do this alone. And there it is. The thing I'd been blocking off to protect myself. Empathy. I thought I could remove myself from the equation of others' lives around me, of their suffering and their love, to keep myself secure. If I do not extend myself, open my heart, then it will never be taken advantage of, like it has been in the past. Even if it means that I remain in a half-conscious haze forever, alone, because I must never have my heart broken again. How often have I complained, on this podcast, about not being seen, about feeling like I'm speaking in someone else's voice, like I'm stunted in a terror that keeps me from relaxing around people I admire? How many times have I wondered, over the last decade, what it will take for me to be ready for love? How many friendships or flirtations have died on the vine because of my preference for safe superficiality and my fear of being body snatched when it gets too real? What I want for myself is to be able to share the inner richness I feel with the ones I love, to be a bastion of power for those around me, to be a part of the human race and not a spectator from the mirror dimension, to speak out, show up, to touch, to be touched, I have to risk it, risk feeling, risk supporting, risk loving. The first Slayer says it to Buffy and I repeat it once again. Love, give, forgive, risk the pain. So thank you for listening to this podcast, for being on this podcast, for helping me see past my blind spots, for being here for me, for helping me to stay in this dimension. The fears that used to define me are irrelevant now the identity I had made outdated. I don't need to be me anymore. I am made of the same spirit that you are. That's more than enough. And that means that we will be different to each other. But I'm with you. I'm a part of you. I'm not going anywhere. Count on it. They're all here. The divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me. I'm David Goldberg. These are the Luminaries. Here's comedian, movie star, and high priestess Mo Fry Pasek. I went to Tink's Good News, that website, you know? No. <laughs> it's like, it's this cute um, account on Instagram that's like getting really popular because it's reporting all the good news that's happening. Mm. Okay. And so I watch it's unrelated to COVID, but <laughs> there's <laughs> there's this guy. I'm like so I'm gonna cry talking about it. So he's gonna get the Congressional Medal of Honor, but there's this high school coach for like football or whatever in Oregon that um he like there was a school shooter and he had a rifle last fall. And he not only took the rifle from the kid and gave it to a teacher, but like just hugged him and held him till the police came. <gasps> And like it's, and the kid like so clearly needs love, and like he's wearing like a long black jacket, and there's this huge, big black wide receiver man who looks like he's giving the best hug you've ever ever gotten. Oh, <laughs> and I am crying so much because the bravery of that man, like to just show love in the face of someone with a literal rifle, like it's so people are so good and the radical empathy yeah it was great like oh my god so i just watched that video and i'm sobbing because i was (laughs) 
Oh my God. How has, I'm curious about you because um, obviously I know that more in the grandest way, you're of course a gal about town, but I also know that you do are someone in your normal life who cultivates uh, alone time and who cultivates, uh, <laughs> you know, that sort of refractory healing periods. And I'm just curious how this sort of thing has worked for you. Um, well, so, like, well, I, a couple weeks ago, I drove and met my mom and I made it back to Wisconsin. So now I'm back in Wisconsin. Okay which I'm okay. very grateful for. And then I quarantined in my basement. Um, the first, see, the hard part is I'm also like on top of being refractory. I'm also safety girl and have like OCD triggered by trauma. <laughs> and so um, I would refer to myself as Howard Hughes for the first three weeks of this. <laughs> um, I like in that, like I like voluntarily did not leave my home or touch a single person for three weeks straight. (laughs) And and I also did that long before like people were shutting stuff down. (laughs) I started like full, like I think the last time I went out the week of March 9th, I was like, we're real limited contact with people still like wearing gloves and shit. Um, So for me, it's been like battling the demons of like what of like how to like not take on other people's anxieties because generally Mm. mine are inflamed by other people's and it was kind of the realization as someone who has lived with anxiety her whole life that like all of a sudden I wasn't the irrational one like it's all these people who've never had anxiety before having anxiety and then they're used to telling other people what to do. So then they're coming from a place of fear and still telling people what to do or being like, I need freedom or, you know, re- everyone's really reactive. And I started to realize slowly, it's like, oh, I'm probably one of the most equipped people to help people right now because I've been living like this, you know, like, <laughs> like I done stayed anxious my whole fucking life. And all these people are new to the game. I'm like, welcome. Let me tell you all the tricks. <laughs> It's also, are you, well, you're a Pisces, but are you, I'm noticing some of my mutable sign friends. I'm like, oh, honey, like my Gemini friends. I'm like, you are really going through it, aren't you? I mean, the thing is, it's interesting, like, as a Pisces right now, I don't know. Like, I'm, I get him. Yeah, I think that's where my filter comes in is because like. You know, they say Pisces is the only water sign without an outer shell. And, you know, we're like soaking up everything. And I like only would be anxious when I talk to people. And and I think a lot of people are encountering this where people's energy is psycho, but their words are grounded. So, you know, someone will be like, it's fine. We're actually statistically here. But you can't, you know, accuse someone of being like stressing you out or whatever, or like bringing you a negative energy. You can just feel that and then have to, you know, seemingly for no reason, be like, peace, I can't engage with you. <laughs> like, even though you're talking about sound, like seemingly reasonable stuff, the energy is off. <laughs> and yes. I think that's where like the Pisces comes in where I'm like, oh, I cannot engage. Like I made a secret like Instagram where I follow literally my sister and like two friends and Cause it was just, I love what everyone's doing. I love what everyone's sharing, but like you can't control like 
some of the psycho energies that come in. And obviously yes. psycho is like problematic. I, I know the terms like crazy and psycho are triggering to some people, but you know what? Uh, words don't matter anymore. So. <laughs> and it's, yes, it is within context here. I think anyone who knows you and is listening to you understands that you have plenty of empathy to go around and that you are in no way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah I, I understand it's like there, there has to be a certain amount of protection and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm happy that I'm not younger. Cause I think when I, I still have the same instincts, which is like, well, I have to take it on. I have to take care of them. And I have, yeah. to, I have to take on their problem for myself. I still have that instinct, but I at least in some way know that I have to force myself to take my hand off the wheel. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it, that, that's it's all about releasing control. It's like, and I was talking about this with Sudi Green, famous icon and um, best friend in the world. Oh, and, and she... She was talking about, she was like, this is an interesting time for you because your issues tend to be with control. And like, it's easy for me to not have those issues because I don't put myself in environments where I feel like I have to control things. Um, But, or I put myself in environments where I can control everything. And you know what? It's coming up for all of us. Like we are a community. We just have to rely on each other and it's really triggering. It's super duper triggering. It's trust issues for all. And we are just not in control. No, not at all. In control of the future of our, and and we're in control of how we react to things maybe, but Mm -hmm. we are not in control of this universe and of this society. Not at all. And I think (laughs) a lot of people are, you know, it, it's a nice time. A lot of people are coming into their life mission and their soul mission and, you know, realizing what's important. And on its head, all of that is grounding. But on the other side, right, there is that pressure of like, well, just ignore everything and, you know, you write that book, read that thing, actually meditate every day and working out is so easy every day. It's, so it's like, it's so about balance because it is just – there's messaging left and right to everything that's good, everything that's real, everything that matters, everything that doesn't matter. It's like, <gasps> <laughs> in terms of within, has there been anything in you that, that have you surprised yourself? Um, yeah. Have you surprised yourself? Sure. Um, I think I surprised myself in like the way I receive. Definitely. Like, um, I, I think the biggest surprise I get is that like, like early days, like even like, I think it was like March, like 12th or something. Like I was not leaving my house. I was not moving. I was truly paralyzed. Like, because I was like sanitizing everything every five seconds and it was pretty intense. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I'm grateful for that. Like I feel healthy, but, but I needed to go outside for a walk, you know, um, And, and like my, and Sudi like literally walked to the Williamsburg bridge with a mask and gloves on, like came to my door and then walked, literally walked me 10 feet apart for an hour. (laughs) And and like, I think a previous me would like feel so unworthy, not unworthy or just like feel uncomfortable receiving that much love. Mm -hmm. And so I think, 
Yes, exactly. And so I think this has been a really special time to um, receive without like judgment of myself or rejection. And I think, I think it's, I've been forced to do it, you know? Um, So it surprised me that I've been able to accept it for sure. That's major. Yeah. I mean, like I like it's, and I think, I hope everyone realizes this, that there's like always going to be someone that like has a lot of love for them and there's like love for them in this world, but it's really hard to accept. And so I think this is a cool time for especially more masculine, divine masculine, not gender, masculine leaning people like myself, right. Who are do, 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 and don't want to receive. I think this could be a really special time for, you know, a little bit more yin, a little bit more receive stillness. That's really, yeah, that's really amazing. I, I, it's, it's interesting to confront that. And when I was really sick, I like, I, I was like, well, I'm, there's things that I have to do for myself that only I can do. And I wouldn't make anyone else do it for me because then I'm going to owe them. And it's like, well, (laughs) what are you supposed to do, bitch? Like what, when is this going to end? When is this like posturing of independence going to end? So um, I'm curious about, Personally, for you, and maybe also for the larger world, what, because we're kind of in this impasse, what do you think needs to be kind of left behind? Oh, the government. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry, continue with your question. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, like what, what, I mean, that's a fine answer, but what do you think needs to like be kind of left in the old world? Because I think we're moving into a new age, which I'm very excited about. But what needs to get kind of left? What, and this can be just in you. Like, you know, we're having this moment of like chrysalis and freezing. So I don't know if there's anything where you're like, yeah, that's not coming with me into whatever's coming next. Or that, that I, I hope this thing that, that's a part of our world can stay back and, and doesn't need to be a part of the new age, you know? I think I mean it, it, I think it's both different and the same for the you know a global and personal responses. I think personally the biggest thing I'm trying to leave behind is ego and expectation because like obviously we all have a way we want our lives to go or things we want to do or have and um you know I've always worked on this but I think it's crucial now that like to kind of go where you are needed. And that doesn't like some people will automatically interpret that as like, well, I can't volunteer. I can't be of service. It's like, maybe you are needed to like, you know, maybe some people are needed to go make a movie. Maybe some people are needed to go start a restaurant or, you know, like it doesn't have to be needed to be mother Teresa, but if there's, you know, signs or paths in your life that you aren't taking because of either fear or personal ego-driven ideas of what you should be or what you like think you need to be or what you thought you should be just need to be done away with because I mean it's not it's this is illuminating like the structures that we don't need it's not the fact that we are like rejecting things or like what we have to figure out to stop doing it's like they're already illuminated they're not serving us and uh, I think it's just embracing that because it is a fear of the unknown, right? But I mean, what can get scarier than this right now? Right. 
Right. It, and by the way, it can get much worse or it could get much better. But totally. this is not like, this is not it. No, exactly. I mean, I don't believe it's going to stay worse. I believe ultimately it's going to get better and beautiful, but I'm not naive to think that that just means like that people will stop dying and everything will be chill and cool. I think it's difficult. I think it's really fucking difficult and really hard. And there's going to be a lot of grief and sadness. Um, And I always hate to say, but there's good in this because I think um, they shouldn't be that sort of like opposite. It's like they exist together, not in reaction to each other. Um, So, yeah, I just think, I think ultimately globally and like, it's just, it's more humanity. It's just more humanity. There's more, like there's such cognitive dissonance right now, especially even with the idea of going outside and like hooking up with someone. I'm still hearing about like so many people hooking up um, with, you know, on apps or whatever. And it's like, well, I just went to this person's house or whatever. And I just heard about that today, which is why it's my reference, but it's really upsetting because, you know, like you have to let that go, but that is illuminating the selfishness among people because they think, and that's the hard part. Cause if you think you don't matter, if you don't love yourself, you think you can't make an impact negative or positive. And so like, it's kind of really returning to a community of love and self-respect and self-value because it's not just so you can love yourself and make a great impact. It's so you can know your impact either way, positive or negative. Mm. In terms of the, I think we're aligned in this, which is like, I think the age of abundance is actually coming. And this is like a huge part of the upheaval that leads to it in terms of, or maybe not, but in terms of what's coming, um, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you've thought about this, but what do you want for, for the world or what do you want for yourself in, in the world to come in the, in the age to come? Sure. Um, Gosh, um, I want education, plain and simple, like whether that be education of the self or education of the systems, education in general, I just think that is the bread and butter of all of this. And education allows us to self heal, education allows us to heal others, education allows us to, you know, be abundant. Um, It allows us to support ourselves and others. And I hope like the value, I mean, yeah, I just want the world that because capitalism doesn't value education, it values money and it values profit. So, I mean, they go hand in hand, but I'd rather come from a place of wanting education versus not wanting capitalism. So that's that's what I want. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And for yourself, is there anything that you're like, I mean, you had mentioned soul mission earlier, like, have you gotten any more clarity about? Oh, yes, what too much. For you? It's, okay. <laughs> you know that meme where DW is like, I can't read because there's all those signs. <laughs> it's like, um, I don't, I described that meme horribly for anyone, but there's a DW meme where she's like going to walk into a door because she can't read the signs or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think definitely I'm being pulled to tell my personal story. Um, I'm definitely... Um, very triggered by that. And I think 
that's something I'm going to meditate and write and, you know, work through because I think it's like, well, how can I help? It's like overcoming those fears and like the fear of, you know, getting what I want. And, you know, what I want is to not be scared. (laughs) And like, even the idea of not being scared is scary. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely my soul is coming in and it's coming in hot of just like, I need to share my personal experiences in life with fear, with um, living. I think I, did I tell you this? Maybe we talked on the first pod, but I'm kind of coming from a place right now where like my dad, um, when I was having issues with like um, stress eating and like overeating, cause I was, you know, it was emotional. Um, my dad was like, there's two things that are inevitable in life and it's fear and food and you can't eliminate them, but you have to live with them. And so I'm like, I know that in communicating my story, it's about not, you know, we always talk about like conquering or vanquishing fear. It's like, that's never going to happen. And that's the problem. It's living with balance. It's living with fear and how you respond to it instead of reacting and trying to quote unquote vanquish it. That was the great Mo Fry Pasek. Here's comedian Jess Tom sharing their journey of bodily transition in a time of global metamorphosis. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a bizarre moment en masse for everybody. But for me, it's weird because I'm, like, literally going through puberty right now. (laughs) Um, Right. And now the circumstance is such that I've gone, like, full teen boy you know, like not showering and masturbating all the time and like staying in my room and staying up all night and like going like fully nocturnal, um, which is what's happening. I have gone like entirely vampire. Like the fact that I'm here talking wow. to you right now at 2 p.m. is like I had to set my alarm for that, you know? Um, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> um, what so I love about that, that uh, metaphor is that like, vampires in the daytime they're not just asleep they're classically in a coffin Mm -hmm. so i love this idea of you like for for large amounts of time like being completely closed off while you go through this metamorphosis it does feel that way and it's like one thing that i think is really weird is um so i'm laying really low right now you know some people are like going on walks and shit and like going outside and i'm really not um just because i mean yeah i don't know i'm like it sounds paranoid but then i'm like it's not you know i live in queens which is the hardest hit borough in new york Mm. city the hardest hit city so i live in like the hot spot of the hot spot so i'm like i need to like be careful and also i don't live around a lot of other people Like, I mean, I have roommates, but I don't really have that many friends or anything that live in this neighborhood. So I'm like, I have to be pretty careful because I don't have an amazing, amazing support network out here. Um, So, which is to say that I haven't been going outside at all for like extended, extended periods of time. Um, Like at this point right now, I haven't been outside since two Mondays ago. So 16 days ago. Mm, Okay. So, uh, the point that I'm trying to get to is I know that like my body and my like physical being is changing 
And I have no idea pretty much how the world will receive me because I'm literally not out there. And, and like when I do go out, I'm like my whole face is covered and everything. I, and nobody is like really minding other people as people right now anyway. So I think it's going to be really interesting once this is over to like go back to like socializing with people. Like, I just don't know, like, I don't know how other people receive me. It's so, yeah, it's so unique because it sounds like you understood that in undergoing transition, like there would be this different you that would at the end of it, if it ever ends, but there would be different yous and you could kind of measure that against the world you knew and, and the scene, you know, you know, in some ways it sounds like the world, you would imagine the world going on the way it was as you know it. And the thing that would change is you. Right. What's interesting now is it sounds like they're both changing and there's this sense of like, not only have, will we have not seen you, none of us will have seen any of us. Right. So when we're all reunited, there's that sense of like this global reintroduction and then meanwhile you will have really transformed and it's like this it'll it'll as be kind of like we're meeting you for the first time i do think it's a little jarring because it's like for me every day is just day by day like i'm Mm. not gonna notice like some big change but if like people literally don't see me in like I mean, this is just an ass number, but like five months, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to appear really different to people from how I seemed before, I think. I And again, I'm like, I think that's true, but it might not be true. I don't know. I think it's true because something I've been thinking about a lot is I feel like I've been going through the last two years with Return of Saturn, everything that's happened in my world and my life. I've gone through huge internal transformations. But while those have gone on, I've had to maintain a public self, which means someone is still getting up and getting out of bed and going to work. Someone is still, whatever, posting on social media. Someone is still engaging with the world. Mm -hmm. And it's almost felt like those two, the inner self and the outer self are connected, but often one is doing its own thing while the other is is doing something else. And I've lately felt this um, urge and this desire to remove the public self from the equation entirely while I have this opportunity, while I don't need to be out in the world and let the transformation um, go on like fully, like not devote half of my energy to a public self, devote Uh. all of my energy to the metamorphosis and yeah, I'm wondering if if you're going through that. It sounds like you are going through that. And I'm wondering if it feels like accelerated or you feel like you can finally like be all in or or, or what you're feeling at all now. Because it sounds like you are in a cave transitioning. Yes, much. it feels that way. It feels yeah. that way. I mean, I think uh, I think it's so great to feel able to let go of that public self and the compulsion to maintain the public self, I feel more pressure than ever to have a public self. Okay. 
because like it's it's so funny um i was literally i was literally just saying to my manager like really what i'm concerned with is that everybody remembers me like that's like what i feel like has been really on my mind um so i i almost feel like like now that you know we can't go out and see each other and encounter each other in the world i feel a huge pressure to present a public self in order to like maintain quote unquote relevancy or to make it so people think about me while at the same time undergoing these changes and like maybe not really knowing exactly what the public self is yet and i probably won't know at all until i can like operate in it out in the world can i ask you something and i do not need to sound like um I'm about to sound like I'm trying to be a lesbian therapist. <laughs> I, I just This is the question that comes to mind. When you say that you're concerned with um, people not remembering you, do you feel like as you're going through this transformation and maybe as the world is going through this chrysalis, like you're afraid you're not going to remember who you were before this or you're not going to remember the old you? Like, do you, are, are you... Is it occurring to you that you might like go not past the point of no return, but like transform so much that you don't recognize yourself? Is that something you're trying to like battle? I, mm, (laughs) that's a good question. I think I'm more afraid of the world changing and me not having a place in it anymore. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I feel like as far as like me and the transformation that I'm going through, like I actually think a lot about the conversation that we had, uh, when we recorded uh, my episode of the luminaries and you said something about, um, about I'm how I'm coming into focus and people are going to see like who I really am through this process, who and what I really am. And I really have been thinking about that. And I really like look at myself and I think like, Oh yeah, like I'm sharpening up. Um, And I feel really good about that. But it's almost like I feel worried that like I'm going to re-enter back into the world and it's not going to matter like who or what I am. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Yeah. It's, it's like you need some grounding almost because everything is changing. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I totally get that. You need to have like a foot on the ground and then the ground itself is changing underneath your feet. Yeah. Yeah. It actually, it helps me a lot right now to be like doing shots. You know, it means that I like know what day of the week it is. Uh I know. Yeah. I have like a reason to like keep track of myself and 
I've, I've been working out a lot actually. Yes. Um, because I like am interested in maintaining my body in a way that I wasn't before. So I'm glad for that. I'm, I'm actually really, really glad that I have this like one regular thing that like keeps me kind of on a schedule. Yeah. I, uh, I keep thinking about like, it's just such an interesting thing. It's an interesting moment because I keep having to remind myself that I have no idea what happens next. Mm -hmm. And that's liberating because I cannot predict anything and therefore I cannot dread anything. I mean, dread is like, the part of anxiety that I think it's my life's mission to battle. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. I just feel like I'm so happy to get your perspective because I think we're all having to learn, like all bets are kind of off. We don't really know. Let's say things go back to normal. What does that mean? What does that look like? We don't know. Will there be restaurants? We don't know. Will there be comedy shows? Will there be any, we, we don't really know what things are going to look like. So it's really interesting to like be on a personal journey and not know where you'll land personally and not know where you'll land like period because mm -hmm. you don't even know. Yeah. It's, it's so, it's crazy that you're having to manage both. Well, I mean, of course, of course I think that we're all going to emerge from this really different. Yes. And it, it's just like what ways were different is going to vary, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. Like I imagine, you know, Ryan Yang, who was just in the hospital for two weeks and just got to go home, is like probably has like a whole different perspective on like life. And like, mm -hmm. I'm going to come back with like, a dirty mustache and yes, if, I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, that'll be the thing that I'll come <laughs> back with. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Um, and it's interesting as far as like live stand-up comedy goes, because of course, if you recall, the thing that I was really afraid of um, the last time we talked on the pod uh, was not knowing how people were going to receive me as a comic. Mm. Um, but sort of being like, oh, well, it's okay. You know, like I'm going to just be getting up and like, doing comedy while I go through this process and learning and growing with it. And now I'm literally not. And now I literally will like provided we are doing live comedy. Um, I really am going to like get up on stage, like very physically different. And also like all my material is garbage now, but 
but that's true for everybody. Which is kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was. But that's kind of amazing too. So much of my material is about being lonely and horny, and now I'm like, well, <laughs> okay, cool, <laughs> cool, cool. What a unique perspective. I know. What a, what an interesting and unique and different perspective that no one's ever had before. Well, I guess I'm I'm curious then because, yeah, now that you're having to anticipate what is whether apparently whether you like it or not going to be a complete clean start it sounds like it sounds like it's going it's not really going to be a matter of like integration it sounds like it's going to be like a reboot i guess i'm just curious and i'm asking everyone this like is there anything you've been thinking that you either want for yourself or want for the world or the culture we're in once we start up again, whatever that means? I mean, I hope there's a mass revolt. Um, Great. That I think that... Um, I think one of the darkest things about what's happening right now is that the circumstance is such that we can't protest or gather in mass yeah. because... It's so because so much protestation needs to happen right now. And yeah. like and there is and and there's no pushback because it's not possible. I mean, not no pushback, obviously, you know, people are trying to do what they can, but we're really seeing like what happens when the people can't fight back against the systems that are in place. Yeah. And it's really bad. And I just, yeah. I just hope that we're not all so, like, relieved when this is over that we, like, don't do that. I think what I've been thinking is even though we can't be really organizing and protesting, what is happening to everyone is the consciousness is changing because we are being exposed like kind of in a way that the genie can't be put in the bottle that mm -hmm. govern what the government does and doesn't do. I mean, I got my Trump check today and I'm very thankful, very relieved, but once you understand, once you see that like money and the economy is all monopoly money and that mm -hmm. it's like, how malleable this is, how controlled this is, how manipulated it is, and how fake it all is. I think it's going to be hard for people to be as... May, maybe. I think you, you would either have to double down and bury your head in the sand way more than you ever had, or you're going to have to start noticing things. So I'm hoping that this moment at least will open eyes so that when it is time to... Um, you know, start lighting Molotov cocktails, people will, like, get why it's happening. I really hope so. I... Have I said this to you, that I measure, um, like, uh, I measure the, like, apocalyptic situation we're in by the movie V for Vendetta? No, but you know it's one of my favorite movies, so please go on. I love V for Vendetta. Um, it's... The tea, I agree. And I 
I've read and owned the graphic novel as well, of course, but I'm referring to the movie specifically here. Yeah, the movie um, is for queer people. The graphic novel isn't, and that's the okay. The movie is lesbian canon. Thank you. Um, I would, yeah, lesbian and trans canon. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but I always measure by like what's happening uh, in V for Vendetta. And there are two parallels that I see here. One is that in V for Vendetta, of course, it is a mass epidemic that causes them to vote in a new regime. Of course, in the movie, the regime is fascism. And so that's not good. Um, But the other parallel that I've been starting to draw more directly than that one is that at the beginning of the movie V for Vendetta, you're watching a newscast about how the United States has descended into disease and civil war. And I'm like, oh my God, that's that's the part. Like, we're not, you know, we're not England. England actually has their shit a lot together more than we do. We're not them. We're the ones who are already down at the beginning of the movie. Um, yes. And that's like, yeah. that's the moment I think we're approaching right now is the pandemic to civil war. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and the thing to keep in mind with that is like, which, you know, like any transformation um, requires upheaval and it's okay to have upheaval. It's not going to necessarily be good or feel good, but it's okay and it's in the end, it will serve, hopefully. Or it won't, or we'll all be uh, put in camps, and at least we'll be living authentically. I will say that, like, the more bad things look, the more I lean very heavily into this, like, very hopeless romantic part of myself. Mm-hmm. That is like poetry boy yes yes that's so ready for love at the end of the world um yes okay um yeah no it's it's been real i've like i've already i told somebody i love them i like am really leaning into it um but i'm also like like and of course i hope obviously obviously i hope that this is not like a true quote unquote end of the world, but I love to use the excuse to like get very dramatic and very confessional. Of course you do. (laughs) Now's the time. That was the very generous Jess Tom. And now the pop artist and actor, Pat Riley. Yeah, I'm just, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety about you know I took this time to be like I was kind of the I mean I am the kind of person who likes to use my downtime to like create things and like I just kind of always have that bug in the back of my head so I do that anyways but I was so I was like oh this quarantine will be nice because like I will just be able to write music and I will just be able to like focus on a script or like make do all the kind of stuff where you don't have to be in person all that shit with all the like my creative stuff um and 
as I'm getting deeper into projects, I'm starting to doubt myself and my like abilities. And it's just, I think if I were having more contact with people, then, then those fears would be assuaged because usually going into a collaboration with someone you can come in feeling like your work is trash and someone will be like, no, 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 let's focus on the things that are great about it. And then you can move on. But like, because I'm not having one-on-one, it's like everything is an email or everything is a text or everything is a DM, in which case I can't let my emotions out because I'm strictly writing it and I need human to human contact. So I, I think it's it basically I'm, I'm judging myself and I'm, I'm starting to doubt. I'm just in that create that part of my creative process, which is, which happens to me quite a bit is like, I have a great idea. I love the idea. I work on it. I like it. And then I sleep on it. And the next day I wake up and I'm like, well, fuck this. <laughs> and I just need to recognize that and not fall into the trappings of spiraling. <laughs> no, but it's also really good to recognize of like music, especially needs to be made with love and love needs to be shared among people. It's not this thing of you're going to go to a cabin and create, which you could, but it's, I love, there is this affirmation of like, no, you actually need partnership and collaboration and that's good to know yeah and you know i'm also right before the quarantine hit um sorry i'm adding i'm I'm adding juice to my computer i'm at a low power but we're good um right before the quarantine hit i was about to be embark on my journey of like writing music with other people I had like not really done that yet. And like I had here and there with the people that I, when you like record songs, you're always kind of writing with the, like the producer. And I have like, there's a, a writing partner, my friend Tori, who like is a part of this production team, but I hadn't done things like, Hey, I have an idea and you're a writer and I'm a writer. Let's get together and like write on it. And I have really, really been craving that. And I'm kind of overdoing it all alone because I want to grow. And I think I need the influence of other people and I need other ideas except for the ones besides just the ones in my head. And so I kind of was just beginning that I had like just set up so many, like, so like obnoxious to say, but so many sessions with people and it all fucking went away. And so then I was like, great. Okay. You know what? I'm going to just do create a project all on my own. That's about this quarantine who fucking isn't doing that, but like, (laughs) like, great. I'll do that. And, but now I'm running into some of the, the same battles, you know, of like, ugh, like I need, I need other people to help me with this. I wanted to talk about your journey with video games recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about, I mean, that goes back to the idea of like your selfhood and, and that is such an interesting way to like, 
not be in self in a way. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I have like a, I have my journey with playing video games was like, I was a big video game person, like obviously in elementary school and like as a kid. And like, I was really into, you know, like RPGs and like and the fashion. <laughs> what'd you say? And the fashion. And the fashion. Um, and I, I remember around the same time that like I stopped playing with toys was like when I stopped playing with video, playing video games, which was like going in, you know, going into like seventh grade. And like, I had just gone out of the sixth grade slump of being so depressed, being like just a depressed person in sixth grade. And then starting to like, be cool and popular and like go out with friends and like that changed everything was like socialization like changed my need to like imagine on my own and whatever and so really like I haven't played a video game since like sixth grade and I I mean you know like super smash brothers here and there I guess but like that's not really like my culture and so in this time I had this day where I was like, I was watching a lot of TV and then all of a sudden I was just like, the internet wasn't working in our place. And I was like, okay, I have to do something. And I think that what I'm going to do is like pop in a video game and like, see what I feel. And I popped in (laughs) Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on my boyfriend's DS. And I started anew and began a new um, journey as Link. And it's been really nice because I started to be like, why am I actually loving retreating? Well, not retreating, but I think prior to this moment, I always thought that people who played video games were retreating from the world and like they were hiding. And it was a judgment, you know, but I started to find myself being like, Oh my God, I'm finding so much comfort in going into this space, like putting up my hoodie literally and like sinking into my bed and like on my couch and like diving into this story, this like fantastical story. And I was like, why am I really loving this when before I was so judgmental and I think it's because, you know, I kind of talked to you a little bit about this, but I get to go into this video game and accomplish so much. I get to literally save the world (laughs) from darkness by playing this, playing with this avatar and beating challenges and, gaining spiritual wisdom and you know growing stronger and every further step i take i'm seeing the results of my journey through this video game and i was like oh my god i am loving this because i'm accomplishing something and it's so low stakes i'm not actually having to put myself on the line i patrick doesn't have to be exposed at all it's link this character in the land of hyrule who doesn't speak 
We don't know his personality. No one speaks in this game. <laughs> they just only type words out. And like, it's so refreshing to not have to expose myself, but I'm winning <laughs> and I'm succeeding. And like, I am seeing the, res- the fruits of my labor. And as an artist, I never... Well, rarely, not never, rarely do I get to see the fruits of my labor because so much of it is internal. It's inside my hole as a hermit and inside my bubble. And this video game has given me a sense of accomplishment during this time when literally no one is allowed to see each other or like physically accomplish anything. So... I've loved it. <laughs> you know what you're making me think of? We're, you and I are kind of um, hurting right now because yesterday I had this thought, this, this memory came back to me yesterday, which was in sixth grade, I started the school play, Hello, Dolly. Mm. And then I quit immediately because I, and I, I, I completely forgot about this. And I'm kind of astounded that I, I had this in me when I was, Uh, 11 I quit because I said I actually want more time to be able to play with my toys play video games watch my Buffy DVDs and whatever as an 11 year old I said this okay so wise it's crazy and I too in the years after that had to really socialize and I started to understand the rules of the game and I kind of had had to develop my outward presenting persona more And then, you know, in the last 10 years, when I go into my little bubble, like, you know, I don't play with toys anymore, but let's say when I'm writing, when I'm in my little, my worlds, now there's an end game attached to it, which is, well, if you're in this fantasy, if you're daydreaming, this needs to be a project that you're going to write, then that, that will maybe make you money or get released to the world or whatever. You know, everything now has this kind of imperative attached to it. Yeah. And yesterday I was reflecting, I was like, you know, now is the time to go back to the sixth grade you who could be um, kind of in these like fantasy worlds, but with no stakes attached to it, kind of like you were saying, and with no expectation and who's, who's just doing it for the joy of doing it. Because listen, I could write a show right now. Ain't nobody going to see it because... Where's it going to go and who cares? So, you know, you're making me think about this idea of like cultivating this, like this space of like joy and accomplishment and like closure, but where there, there aren't like stakes that are attached to your sense of worth or your, you know, your sense of accomplishment or whatever. Oh, okay. You're making my mind spin on just something fun, but like cultivating the avatar, like you must cultivate your avatar in order to like, not put yourself on the line, but like Mm. to be able to enjoy the challenges and the creation and letting yourself feel the accomplishment of just fucking trying and like attempting, you know? Yeah. 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 Because I don't know about you, but like when I'm first writing something, 
new. I will, there's those times when you feel incredible. You feel like, I feel like my sex drive just surges and I'm like, time is blurring. And I'll always have this afterthought of like, well, um, it doesn't count unless it's a finished product that's released to the world. And what I think I need to learn right now is to like enjoy what is happening as it's happening, regardless of how it's going to get packaged or what it leads to, or, you know, how it gets, um, you know, what it means for me, what the accomplishment is. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, yeah. If that, if, if I could be in that space more times than not, I would be happy. I would be happy. Yes. <laughs> not that I'm not happy. Yes. It's so dark. Um, but you're right. You're right. I, it's a, it, you know, and I'm, I think I'm catching on to my pattern, which I think is progress, which is just yeah. that like I am in that space and then I go to bed and then I wake up the next day and I look back on it and then it, I set it on fire, you know? Okay, that's so now you're catching it. So yeah, yeah, but amazing. <laughs> we're catching it. We're catching it. Yeah, which I do think it's possible. Um, yeah, I guess I'm curious, like, because you seem to be really, it, you're you seem to be processing a lot and kind of like inspecting yourself a lot, and I'm just curious about like when this is over, what do you? What do you want for yourself? Um, or, or maybe have you realized anything you want for yourself? Um, um, career-wise, personally, just anything. Yes. I think that, well, I, to, in full honesty, I think I sort of had this thought like right before this all happened, you know. But, but having this happen has actually... I've started to, I've, I've focused on like the freedom of this moment right now a lot, most of the time other than maybe the past two days, but I've been focusing on like the freedom of this, like no obligation there. Truly. I don't have something planned, you know, and it's given me this freedom in some of the work that I'm doing and it, what I want coming out of this is I want more, I'm hoping that my work is more fearless and more free in a way that is not so planned, which is what I think we're seeing a lot of right now. And like you and I talked about this a little bit at the beginning of this, but like, I think people are like, Charlie XCX is a great example. Have you been following what's going on with her right now? No. Okay, so she's putting out an entire album in like, I think, two weeks. That <laughs> she, started, she started, I think, four days ago. And that's a great example. She's not, she put out a song yesterday. It's called Forever. You should listen to it. But it's like, it's so, she made the whole thing like in her bedroom, you know. It's quintessential, like, 
there are no rules. Why do I, the journey I'm going on is that I'm just letting myself feel what I'm feeling right now and doing, doing what I'm doing now. And that's all the art is. The art is just the art of now. And it's not the art of six months of planning, six months of writing, six months of rewrites, six months of, you know, getting notes. It's just, no, 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 no. There is art in the raw and the un untouched. You know, I think he's, I, I truly do think Kanye West is a psychopath, but he did recently say something that was like, music is so, there's no like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of like, there's no music that is <clears throat> individual anymore. It's like, there's so many hands in it that it becomes this general song versus like, you can see it with some of the people that are on his label. Like they're very, very themselves. They're not going by a normal structure in, in songs. They're experimenting, yada, yada, yada. But Charlie XCX is a great example of that. And I think that's kind of what I'm hoping to bring forth after this, because it's kind of the, the, the visionary and the artist I've wanted to be my whole life, which is like, I have a really big problem with thinking that everybody else knows more about it than I do. And like <laughs> lots of people, lots of people like have that, you know, so, the answer is like, nobody knows it more than me when it's coming to, when it comes to my work, nobody knows it more than I do. And if I can just accept that and like ride with it, then I think I will be happy. And then there will be other lessons to learn. But like, I s feel like I'm beginning to learn that, but I still don't think I'm just there yet. And I hope that this time gives me that sense of like, unfiltered uniqueness and rawness, I guess. Mm -hmm. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Yeah, I, I am. You sent me on this journey about just thinking about how culture is shifting. And it, it's been really interesting to watch because there is that, that Charlie aspect and there is so many drag performers and comedians we know are just like, getting on up there and putting shit out. Um, and there is this exciting moment of like, there is no FOMO and there is still, uh, there's always going to be a popularity contest and there's always going to be like high school politics, but 
wherever you are is kind of where you're at basically in this journey. Like no one is anywhere better than anyone else. Everyone is stuck. So whatever you're producing, there's a little, there's a sense that it's a little more pure because it's like, this is of this exact moment right now. And um, there's no kind of looking forward or looking back. This just is this product period. I mean, obviously, you know, it can be advantageous and I'm sure this is a great time for some people's careers, but largely you're just like creating because you want to. I mean, you really helped me notice that, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think, isn't that like what the point is anyways? (laughs) That like being in this schedule and not being in chaos has gotten us confused about is like we think Mm -hmm. that it's we are focused too much on the meaning of everything else instead of like i just want to fucking make something right now and Mm -hmm. this time this quarantine is you know i'm and well it's interesting let's let's talk a little bit about it right like (laughs) it's showing who wants to create for just creating it and who wants to escape from the pressure of it and who is really balanced about it all and is creating when they're creating and then then is giving themselves a break when they're giving themselves a break. You know, like I think there's all different kinds of people and I don't think there's a judgment on anyone, but like I do think that this time is where you can be like, what was I doing all this for again? And like, can I just do what I want to do right now? I guess you kind of answered this when we were talking about yourself, but uh, is there anything else you're like hoping gets left behind when we enter the new world? Mm. Yeah. Or is there anything else that you hope gets embraced when we enter the new world? Well, I think my, my like meltdown <laughs> yesterday, I, I did feel a wall came down that I hadn't really known or hadn't really fully known until yesterday, which was just like the way I speak to myself and the way that I like <laughs> observe myself and um i'm hoping that and you know it's like even hard for me to say this right now but i'm i'm hoping that gets left behind when i go forward but there's a part of me that is so attached to it and that has found so much comfort in the way that i am like horrible to myself and it's like such a comforting pattern that I'm afraid to let go of it because I'm afraid of like if I lose everything by being better to myself what if I lose like all that I know right now by like being good to myself and I haven't really like ever faced that because I feel like I've moved through problems quickly and swiftly, but I haven't really 
like examined my relationship to myself in this way. And I think the, the good person, the like light in me wants is like ready to let go of that old pat old person, but the dark in me wants to hold on to it so that I can use it as like fuel and like continue to abuse it so that it is like working in my favor. But then it begs the question of like, is it even working? <laughs> I don't know. I've had some accomplishments, but I've also had accomplishments when I have been able to let go of it. So I don't know. It's really difficult because I feel like I have this like taskmaster within me and it's poisoned so many things that I've worked on in the past. Mm. And I'm so afraid of it. I'm so afraid of activating it. And I feel like I'm often now when I'm working on things, I'm like almost trying to trick myself into not noticing or like I have to do all these mental um, loopholes where I'm like, so that I don't activate that kind of old atavistic competitive reductive self who, who can't really allow for experimentation or failure or for things just not adding up or things adding up in a way that I can't predict. And there's just so much pain there. And there are a lot of days, there have been a lot of days lately of where I thought I would start something and I feel that pain welling up. And I just have to say like, well, (laughs) pack it up, bitch. Like it's, we're just going to be resting instead and watching Star Trek. But I, I am also facing, if I walked away from that old paradigm, I would have to trust that my like innocent young kind of love baby self could make my dreams come true and could take care of me. And it feels like such a leap and such a risk because it's like, it's really unknown territory and it's like a huge amount of trust because I think that that like abusive side I associate with like getting things done and getting moving. So I I really, and and I would have to accept the risk of like, what if you don't get anything done? What if, what if you just become this like woods person? So (laughs) I have, I similarly, I'm reconciling with what would happen if I let that go. That was like beautifully said. And I think, was shed a light on my own experience because I started to think about that, like the baby self that that person is, you know, it's so cliche to say because it's said in every, like from every like artistic guru, but like, you know, they're not wrong that like that baby self is the unfiltered imaginative creative being you know the one that like thinks every idea that they have is great yes (laughs) they grow they go with it so like fuck yeah (laughs) you know and i also think like i don't know if i can speak for you but like i'm at the end of my 20s and 
I have carried baggage from the beginning of my 20s, from when I lived in LA and I wanted to be a screenwriter, to this point. And I don't know if you've carried baggage from when you were doing more focus on acting. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, what I'm hoping is that in this moment, I can say like, okay, we're, we're, we are now at a threshold we can cross and we get to leave behind some of that baggage. I'm not saying I'm going to leave behind all my baggage, but like, let's see, maybe the, some of that shit that I've been carrying around since 2011 is not relevant anymore. And let's look at this pause in time and culture and say like, why don't we not bring that with us across the bridge, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. That makes me so happy to think about that. Truly. Like, yeah, it just occurred to me. <laughs> what did you say? It just occurred to me. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah. What is like, yeah. Just giving myself that time frame of like, what did I, what am I carrying from this specific date to now? And like mm-hmm. that I don't need anymore. And you know, I think some of it can be like my relationship to myself. I think I've cleared up some my some of my relationship to creating for sure. That's been like a big journey for me. Like I didn't want to create when I was younger and now I actually enjoy doing it, like when I do it. Even if I yeah. like, love it and shit, but like it actually becomes meditative for me to like go away and write a song or go away and like drop into a character, or go away and like do an audition. But like I think now is the time, 27 is my age, like to check in with my relationship to me. That was the beloved Pat Riley. To close the show, I've welcomed the writer and provocateur Tommy O'Malley to share his thoughts about capitalism and connection. Okay, so this is like, I guess, my quarantine diary. I live in Brooklyn in this sort of, in a pretty gentrified neighborhood that's still a little bit mixed. Um, I'm a white guy, and but it's a historically not black neighborhood. My landlord is black. He grew up in the neighborhood. And I pay $1,170 a month uh, for a bedroom that's nine foot by 15 foot. And it fits basically my mattress and nothing else. But that's actually not where I am. I'm quarantining, uh, for the past four weeks I've been quarantining, uh, at a friend's apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, because he's out of town riding out the pandemic with his family in Ohio, and he asked me if I wanted to stay here because he's my gay brother, gay brothers look after one another, he has a bunch of plants that he needed watered, he knows I don't have a lot of space, it was a nice fit, so I'm here, it's a one bedroom in a doorman building on West End Avenue, which if you know New York, it's a very fancy place to live, and I am not fancy, I come from a lower middle class to poor Irish Catholic family in Boston. And growing up, I had this very strong resentment of wealth, but I also coveted it because I am a product of the late 1990s culture of celebrity worship that gave many people in my generation untenable lifestyle aspirations. Like, I remember watching MTV Cribs when Mariah Carey was on it, for instance, and I remember thinking, believing that someday I too would occupy 11,000 square feet of the Manhattan skyline. After college, I started working in restaurants to support various artistic pursuits that I've engaged with 
frankly, inconsistent levels of commitment, but nevertheless always trusted would someday bring me Mariah Carey penthouse money. I'm still waiting, waiting for that windfall to arrive, and as I wait for that, I'm also still waiting tables, almost 15 years later. I've been in New York since 2011, and the first job I got here was bartending at a place owned by the shitbag guy who won the first season of Top Chef, if that means anything to you. When I got that job, literally every single person in New York who knew restaurants said some version of, oh my God, you're so lucky to work for him. And what I learned pretty quickly was that when people tell you that you're lucky to work for somebody who's famous or well-known, what they're actually telling you is that you're gonna be paid in luck and not in money. And accordingly, this shitbag top chef was the kind of business owner who would like pay the cooks in his kitchen $110 a day, no matter how many hours they worked, like 12, 13, 14 hour shifts, $110 a day. And then like with the front of the house with like waiters and bartenders like me, he would cut us off at 40 hours of wages in any given week, no matter how much overtime we worked. So like he was just a fucking piece of shit. But of course, even though this was illegal, it was also very common in the industry, kind of industry standard where toxicity trickles down from these chefs who think that making a souffle rise is the same thing as turning water into wine. I remember this one chef that I worked with, not the top chef shitbag, a different shitbag chef. He had this like particularly vengeful God complex. And I remember walking into the basement one day and just seeing him screaming at these two prep cooks he had working down there. I mean, these were two guys, two undocumented workers who would spend hours upon hours in 85 degree heat with no ventilation, chopping vegetables, butchering meat. And like he was going at them this day. And I don't remember what he was mad at them about, but at one point he definitely screamed at them, speak fucking English. And then like he calmed himself down and he left. And as he was walking up the stairs to leave the basement, he like turned, looked at me, fixed this like serial killer gaze on me and just said, deadpan, I hate fucking Mexicans. I said that to the manager who uh, I was working for at the time, that he had said that to me. And I don't know what I thought she was gonna do, but her response was basically, oh, chefs, what are you gonna do? And like, what are you gonna do? That's like this attitude that permeates an industry where the exploitation of workers is like, a drug that rest restaurants just can't quit. Like the prevailing mentality is, yeah, this sucks, but also understand that it's not a choice. This is the way things are structured. It's a necessity and changing things cold turkey could kill the industry and put everyone out of work, which you know, like, it's not like anybody tried to make those changes happen, but here we are. The entire fucking industry is basically out of work right now because of coronavirus. There's like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of workers like me who've been laid off and for who knows how long. And maybe this is it. This is that necessary opportunity we've been given to reassess things we wouldn't have otherwise reassessed. Getting laid off, like for anybody sucks. It sucks for me, of course, but I, I kind of not actually because I'm collecting unemployment and it's like my state benefit plus the federal surplus benefit. Thank God I can't complain. 
But that's not the case for many, many, many of my colleagues and friends because the restaurant industry, I mean all of it, full stop, including literally every single place you've ever eaten, it is fueled by undocumented labor. Now, I have worked at some really elite spots in New York, and I have always known that I profit disproportionately from the labor of my undocumented colleagues. And, you know, to be frank, like at the places that I've worked, you gotta be at a level. So citizenship status aside, when I'm talking about like undocumented workers, I'm talking about highly fucking skilled workers. And they're getting paid like what? 15, 20, maybe $25 an hour if they're lucky. And it's their work, not mine, that brings people into restaurants. Make no mistake. And they are uniformly denied both authorship and fair compensation. Whereas me, my skill, I put this familiar face on an uncomfortable reality. I am discreetly mediating this sort of call and response between the ruling and undocumented classes. And for my discretion, and for my efforts, I'm paid anywhere between $35 an hour on a bad night to upwards of $60 an hour on a good night. And let's be clear, when I say my efforts, what I'm talking about is this. I carry the food that the immigrant makes to the rich person who ordered it. And as soon as the rich person is finished with it, not one second later, I carry it back to the kitchen, scrape whatever food they didn't finish into the garbage, and pile their plate on top of a never-ending stack of dirty dishes that some other immigrant will then wash and polish. I agree to ignore and obscure the excesses of the ruling classes. Like the amount of food that I have thrown away in my career could feed a small village for a generation or more. But if I called attention to what's really happening in these spots, I would render myself completely unhirable in New York City. And frankly, I can't afford that because I grew up a poor kid enamored of celebrity and of wealth. And today, I'm not so poor. I'm an almost 40-year-old unemployed waiter, though, and I've spent the past decade and a half serving celebrities, serving the wealthy, and all I have to show for it is about $85,000 in debt for a bachelor's degree I never actually completed. So for me, like, I'm less desperate, and this time has really helped me to understand that and to accept my role in perpetuating a system of oppression. And that's to say that I think all of us really fall somewhere in a hierarchy of service to the ruling class, where we kick the oppression we shoulder from above, down and down and downward, till it gets to the folks who chop the shit in the basement, the folks who right now, my friends, who right now are getting dry fucked by the system. And on the other side of this mess, I really do believe that we can change this and that we can disarm the ruling class. But first, we gotta start with ourselves, we gotta take care of our immediate communities, and then we can go global. Because once we get right and real about our roles and our abilities, then we can stand together, united in love for self, for family, for community, and in full possession of our power. And because I'm a gay man, and because I'm obsessed with the history of like ACT UP, the AIDS activism organization, uh, they never drew enemy blood in their successful fight to demand rights for people who were living and dying with AIDS. And in that model, 
I think that we can build a revolution that's successful and nevertheless committed to radical nonviolence. But who knows? Because history shows that the ruling class often responds to challenges to its power with brutality. And so we have to prepare for that. And all I can really say to those who would harm us is, I guess, I wish you good luck. Because there's a lot more of us than there are of you. That's the first thing. And then like, I've worked in restaurants for like 15 years. And I think about all of my highly skilled friends who work in the basement. And I got to tell you, I've, I've seen more than one of them laughing while they were butchering a whole cow or a pig or a goat. Like they were opening some Christmas present or something. And, you know, like given a Vanderbilt or a Pierce or a Rockefeller, if the need presented itself, I know that they could make easy work. But I don't want to go there, actually. That's kind of dark. I just want to say that my hope is that we do this the gay way. My hope is that the revolution is peaceful, but that's not really up to us. Thank you for listening to the Luminaries 50th episode season finale. Thank you to our past guests and our returning guests. It's been the best year of my life. The podcast will be back, though in what form I cannot say. Until then, I love you. Be in peace. Mwah.
Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.